Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. In this podcast, we'll be having discussions around the secrets which attract lasting, healthy, fulfilling relationships, creating a healthy mindset, and what women should know and understand about men. Introducing your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts, relationship expert, trainer, speaker, and best-selling author of The Cupid's Bow Technique. Lynn's mission is to have a positive impact in reducing divorce, domestic violence, and suicide. Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. This is your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts. And today I've got a fabulous returning guest. Her name is Laurie Booth, and she specializes in genuine human connection. But she has got a wealth of history and experience in all sorts of things to do with sex and sex education, which really went down well in a previous episode that we did together called Exploring Sexual Taboos. So welcome, Laurie. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast, Lynn. You're very welcome. And as I said, you know, um, the Exploring Sexual Taboos went down a storm with um, my audience. So I really was excited to invite you back on. So if you've not listened to that previous episode yet, folks, um, Exploring Sexual Taboos is a a must listen to um, episode. And, you know, you've got to be aware, though, that there is some graphic adult type content within that. And there is a warning on that episode explaining exactly that. So if that's not your thing, no worries. But, you know, if you are interested, then it's an episode well worth tuning into. So, Laurie, just um, for the benefit of the audiences um, that are joining us that aren't familiar with who you are and haven't listened to this previous episode, just give a little bit of an insight into who you are and what you've explored recently. Certainly. My name is Laurie Booth. I currently produce a podcast called Genuine Human Connection. Episodes of that show can be found on my website, lauriebooth.com. And my name is spelled L-O-R-I-B-O-O-T-H.com. And on that podcast, I explore the question of what is genuine human connection. It's something that is found on Maslow's hierarchy of chart, uh, hierarchy of needs, uh, love and belonging are, are on that chart. Uh, it's a, it's a human need that when people don't have, they suffer from, uh, health issues and psychological issues. And yet genuine human connection seems to be something that we have difficulty achieving, knowing how to achieve, how to sustain. Um, and so it's a question that I'm exploring. What is it? Uh, where is it found? Um, and that came out of a lot of the work that I've done around sex and taboos, sex education, um, exploring the self. Uh, I think that there's a lot of self-discovery to be done when one explores one's sexual taboos. And I came into doing this when I was in college. College is a great place to explore. Uh, it was definitely, sex was definitely a taboo and sexual alternative expressions of sexuality were a taboo and um, expressing your gender in different ways was a taboo. And I always wondered why, why, why is this? Why is this a problem for people? Why is this a topic that people are afraid of? And so I explored it and I uh, was an employee at a sex toy store, an adult, adult store, um, a beautiful store. And I educated um, middle-class women on what kind of lube was best to use with what kind of dildos. Um, I, I read all of the books in the store so that I got 
uh, educated myself in this field and worked with cross-dressers on the right types of shoes that would work for them and so forth. And so I got a lot of just education in general in college uh, working at this toy store. And I was very comfortable talking to people. Um, I had no inner moral conflict about talking about sex and taboos. And I loved learning about it. And because of that, people were comfortable coming to me and asking me questions and I would work with people physically. And so it was about 10 years ago, I uh, opened a facility to actually engage with people with their kinks and taboos to help them overcome guilt and shame surrounding them. And I worked with uh, psychologists in tandem with psychologists. So I would do the physical work with them, dressing them up, uh, engaging in role play activities, et cetera. Um, because in, in the, in the States, uh, therapists, psychotherapists are not allowed to legally uh, physically engage with their clients. And that's to protect them against uh, immoral behavior, client, client, patient um, uh, issues, relationship issues. They want to keep it professional. So, so uh, psychotherapists are not allowed to, to touch their clients in any way, not even to give them a hug or anything that's supposed to be completely off limits. Um, and so I would engage physically with clients and then uh, the therapists would engage psychologically and help people to overcome their, their fears and guilt and shame issues. And one of the things we spoke about off air, which is a common thing and common theme that um, some of your clients have difficulty with is um, achieving orgasm. Would you be able to give our audience a sort of, um, obviously without mentioning any names, but you know, a case study around you know, what, what, what might be the situation before, uh, how they overcame it and, and where they are at now sort of thing. Okay. I remember encountering my first woman who wasn't able to achieve orgasm and she was uh, actually um, a coworker of mine uh, 20 years ago. And it was just a, a conversation we were having. And she said uh, that she'd never achieved orgasm. And I thought, oh, wow, that's that's really strange. I'm, I'm 20 years old. I, I had been able to achieve orgasm from the time I was whatever, 10 probably. And I thought this is, this is really strange. I, I, I've, I wonder what's wrong with her. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then I started encountering more and more people and I realized, oh, this is a thing that, that people actually, um, that is pretty common. Women fail to achieve orgasm. There's a a large percentage of the population where this is true. And so I started to explore what's the, the genesis of this, what is preventing, what's the block and doing the studies that I've done um, and talking with people and then finding out how they were able to finally achieve orgasm and, and overcome those blocks. I found out that uh, it really has at its roots, the ability to surrender and surrender is a scary thing for a lot of people. In my work, I did a lot of work with surrender. Surrender is a, is a huge part of kinks and taboos and dominance and submission role plays. When, when one doesn't feel safe and comfortable, they aren't able to have a sense of surrender. And once they feel that they're in a place where they're allowed to do that, um, orgasm sometimes will naturally occur. Um, however, being safe doesn't necessarily just apply to your physical location 
or the people that you're with, mm-hmm. it means feeling safe about who you are in yourself. And this fear that people have that prevents surrender and therefore prevents orgasm from occurring can simply be due to one's own beliefs and their belief system and how they were raised to view sex and think about their bodies and themselves. Uh, People who were shamed as children for touching themselves, for instance, I've read plenty of case studies where uh, like a a three-year-old boy was playing uh, naked in his bedroom and, and, and exploring his genitalia. Father comes in, sees him doing this and chastises him for this. Mm -hmm. And, and such uh, deep rooted shame at such an age about your body prevents you from uh, exploring your body and feeling good about your body and, and thinking that you are okay. And, um, that your body is acceptable. And so this body shame and sexual shame can sometimes happen at such early ages that we don't even remember them. Um, don't know why they're affecting us now as adults. And, and, and it takes a while to go back and unravel that and reprogram the mind to form new beliefs, to update the old beliefs and say, oh, that's how my parents were thinking. That's not how I need to think. Uh, and, and once that reprogramming of a belief system can be worked through, then often that surrender then can be applied. People feel safe. They accept themselves and only through that, then orgasm can be achieved. Would you say, uh, it's in my, my experience anyway, uh, tells me that this is more of a common problem for women than it is for men. I do not believe that it is more common. Um, I don't believe that it's more common for women than for men. I think that it, um, it, it probably shows itself in different ways. Hmm. Um, for men, uh, and, and, and I'm generalizing here a little bit, I apologize. And I don't necessarily have the statistics to back this up. I have only my personal experience. So um, for those that are interested in this, I would, I would urge people to do their own investigation. Um, and so I'm, I'm putting that disclaimer in there. It sometimes takes men longer to have sex if they have shame issues. So a longer to achieve orgasm when engaging in sex, um, sometimes they need, um, different stimulus to have erection. So maybe they have, um, a block that's preventing them from being able to enjoy erection, um, simply by a naked woman. And they need to have, um, an assisting, um, um, an assisting, um, stimulus such as something that facilitates their ability to have erection. That's not just I'm with a partner um, and I like this person and they're naked. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and that's sometimes when those taboos come in is I need the assist or I need the permission. Uh, I need, I need you to tell me that it's okay for me to do this because somehow in my past, I've learned that it's not okay. Um, 
and I know men who just have a very hard time uh, achieving the erection or getting to a place where they feel they can surrender to the orgasm. So it just takes longer. Uh, and I've had also quite commonly um, with, with my clients, men who have had the opposite problem because they've been shamed or caught when they've been masturbating as children by a parent and then, you know, felt the need to detari out, but which is it made it um, a premature ejaculation issue for them. Yes. Yes. I'm aware of that as well. I, I, I appreciate your side of things too. I want to hear what, what have you experienced regarding your clients and uh, the ability to have orgasm? Does what I say regarding surrender, does that seem to fit uh, the theme of your clients and their situations? Yeah, most definitely. And I, as I say, for me, my my from my own experience, it's, it seems to be more common for women. But then my audience and my my client base is predominantly women, so that obviously would be a, a bit of a a bias response, I suppose. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I, I believe that probably more of my clientele has been men. So I have a, a large experience with male arousal, men, uh, male sexual urges and needs and, and completion. So I suppose that that's why we've got the different perspectives and experiences from, you know, uh, I suppose, based on the client experiences and who we attract to uh, work with um, shapes what our own expertise is around and what our, I suppose, um, knowledge and wisdom that we can impart around it um, is more for me, you know, around what I've experienced with women primarily and you with men. Yes, I would agree. I think that um, we all have a bias toward our own knowledge and experience and tend to sometimes reject the knowledge and experience of other people because it didn't come from a first hand knowledge based system. Our subjective understanding is something we um, have more compassion for than someone else's experiences and subjective observations of self. Okay. So what, what have you noticed, you know, in terms of, um, is there a difference, for example, have you found between men and women that is, is actually preventing them or, or um, making it more difficult for them to achieve orgasm? Do you think there is a difference between what primarily men experience that's, that makes it harder or more difficult for them against versus, you know, women? I would say that has to come from a place of differing backgrounds. So people know that they're of a different gender because of the outside influences from parents and society, they start to learn that they are classified as a boy or classified as a girl starting around the age of two. Mm. And so they're given different input and told this is the way you should behave. And this is the way you should behave um, based on what we like to assume uh, men and women should be like in their, in their various uh, mannerisms or behaviors. And so I think there's probably a difference in the way that men and women experience this ability to surrender or experience orgasm because they've been taught 
different philosophies about who they are and who they should be. So men being taught, you are supposed to be more promiscuous. You're supposed to want to get sex and uh, that male orgasm is the completion of the sexual exchange uh, that we downplay the idea that women's orgasm is the completion of the sexual exchange. It's when he comes now we're done Hmm. Not necessarily when she comes now we're done. Maybe she comes, maybe she has orgasm, uh, but it's not done until he has. Right. So we've got this um, dichotomy of influences based on how we perceive sex in our society. Would, does that make sense? Does, does that yes. Yeah, absolutely. You? Okay. So, so then because of this, um, the ideas that we've been given uh, from the time we were children, that perhaps a, a woman isn't supposed to want sex, or if she has orgasm, then there's something immoral about her that influences their abilities to have orgasm. Um, and, and it's not necessarily a biological difference between a man and a woman. It's a social difference. It's the, the nature under which we were, we were raised. Yeah, I can absolutely 100% agree and, and, and I'm aligned with that way of thinking. And uh, I feel, you know, even for me, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to put my hand up here and say it was quite difficult for me to um, experience orgasm in my early years. Um, I, I think I was 18 before I had my first orgasm. Um, and it wasn't down to, um, uh, as far as I can remember, um, being shamed, but it was more a case of I, I didn't live in a very safe environment. My mum and dad had a very volatile relationship. So I think that affected, you know, the energy, I suppose, of the environment that I lived in where I didn't feel safe because of that energy of um, volatility that you know surrounded my family environment so yeah it's interesting interesting and that uh, sort of leads into one of the other things that I I talk about with clients that come to me saying that they want to practice non-monogamy uh, or their partner wants to practice non-monogamy non-monogamy and that adds another level of insecurity for some people into this sexual relationship and the ability to have orgasm. Uh, if it's difficult for some people to have orgasm with their partner, imagine how much more difficult that might be in a group setting with group sex um, or in a situation where there's swinging or just two couples coming together and enjoying um, a sexual union between the four of them to have that extra level of um, perceived unsafety yes. <laughs> because of other people seeing it, being able to judge it, having their opinions. And, uh, and, and, and these people might be very welcoming and warm and loving people, but these opinions that we've been given from childhood, we still tell ourselves those stories, regardless of whether other people are judgmental or welcoming. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely true. And I suppose what the audience might be interested in is you mentioned surrendering. How do people get to that point? You know, what it what's what's you know probably one thing 
you could say as a piece of advice that um, our audience members listening to, to this could take away that they could practice to enable them to relax and surrender, um, to change how they perceive what's led to them having difficulty with orgasm up until this point, uh, so they can you know, experience what they really would love to experience. Certainly. I would caution people not to think that they can force themselves to surrender. <laughs> that would be self-defeating. Um, there needs to be a kindness with the self, uh, a lovingness with the self to be able to surrender. And, and like I said, there's normally a block in there. So if you've taken care of all of the external blocks, you can think of you're in a safe environment with a safe person you feel good with, um, they don't feel threatening to you. Your, um, lovemaking space doesn't feel threatening. Like it's, uh, like it's on a ground level apartment floor where you're afraid people are, might be able to walk past your window and see you or, or your neighbors can hear you or something. Uh, as long as your physical environment is safe, I would say that's the first step. Make sure that you feel that your environment is safe. Uh, and then the other thing is what, what fears are there? So the greatest way to find those fears is to proclaim to yourself that you don't have any, uh, because those fears will pop up in your head. They will, there will be a yes, but in your head. Uh, so say, I love orgasm. I have no ability. I have no problem achieving orgasm. And you'll hear that. Yes, but yes, but don't you know that something, some message, you'll hear some message, you'll hear some voice from your past, you'll hear a little part of you that questions this, or says something contrary to it. And when you find that message, one of the things I try to do is have people um, replace that message or relocate that message. So the brain, the way that I understand it to function, likes to, likes to uh, communicate with itself through, through images and taking the representation of the message, sort of like you might symbolically find it in a dream. It's similar to that, the, uh, a dream symbolism that represents a message or a, or a memory represent whatever that fear is with an image and then put that image or the image of the object, the, the symbolic object that represents that fear, place it somewhere that it's not going to um, be as easily accessible to your mind when you start to go through the process of wanting to achieve orgasm or having sexual um, union with someone or with yourself, masturbation being the same as, as relations with others. So we, uh, we make the proclamation uh, I have no problem achieving orgasm. We get that little niggling voice that says, yes, but, uh, we take that yes, but whatever that fear is that message, um, turn it into a symbolic, uh, image and then place that somewhere else. You can throw it into the sun and say, I'm just getting rid of you. I'm going to throw you up into the sun and incinerate you. Um, you can say, Hey, thanks for this. I appreciate your concern for me, but I don't really need you right now. Um, I'm going to place you on a shelf somewhere else. 
or I'm going to give you back as a message to the person that gave it to me, such as if you heard a little niggling voice in your head from, say, a past lover who gave you a message that is now kind of blocking you in fear, in fear you can imagine giving that message back to that ex-lover or parent or teacher or priest or whoever it was that gave you that message saying, thank you, I don't need this anymore, and you give it back. And then it's often useful to replace that, replace that, that message with something that is useful. Um, and sometimes it's easy to do that if you imagine that you are giving a message of positive reaffirmation to another person. So you have a friend that comes to you with a problem. What would you tell your friend lovingly? What would you tell um, your sister lovingly? Um, and then use that message for yourself. But again, turn it into a symbol because the mind understands pictures best, as I understand the mind. And place that image where you removed the old image, the old message symbolically turned into a, an image removed, put on a shelf somewhere else or given back to its owner. And then a new image symbol that represents the new message put in its place. Um, I have found this to be effective for people that are going through fears or beliefs that they no longer find useful in many aspects of their life, not just in surrendering to orgasm. Wow, that's excellent advice. And um, certainly I can see how that would work in terms of, uh, you know, a starting process for helping people to understand, A, what's first of all maybe blocking this, and, and also B, giving them some constructive information as to how they can move past it and release that old thinking and that old, like you say, belief that, that may have been the, the stumbling block <laughs> that they can now remove and replace with something else. There is a book that I would recommend if you uh, don't mind uh, having your readers, uh, I'm sorry, your listeners uh, receive this information. There's a book called Hijacked by Fear, and the author, um, Mark Hochwender, he goes through that kind of a process pretty thoroughly, and it's, it's, it's to address any and all fears that you have in your life, uh, whether it's public speaking or uh, fear of other people in relationships or job performance or whatever it is. He, he has that, um, a step-by-step -step process, like what I explained in his book to address those kind of fears. Yeah. I mean, I'm happy for you to, uh, mention that cause it's all going to be to the good and to the benefit of the listener. So repeat that again for us, please, Laurie. Yes. The book is called hijacked by fear by Mark Hochwender. And I can send you the, uh, the, the name and how to spell his last name, the title and, and his name, uh, so that you can maybe put it in your show notes uh, and people can, can find it. Yeah, perfect. I'll, I'll make sure that's absolutely put in there for our audience members to connect with and uh, find the link easily. Because like you say, sometimes the spelling of somebody's name can be hard and, and then they give up and then they don't get access to the information they would like. So thank you for that. So finally, Laurie, what, what piece of advice would you give to any listeners listening at the minute that have probably had this as an issue, you know, this, whether they're male or female um, or whatever 
they, they, they want to label themselves energetically as um, who may have this issue of having difficulty achieving orgasm or, or maybe never having achieved orgasm, what final message would you like to impart as a, a pearl of wisdom from yourself? I don't want anyone to feel shame around their situation. And I also want to um, have people feel a sense of relief that if their partner isn't able to achieve orgasm or erection, uh, that this isn't a result of them, that it's not their fault that they're not good enough, not pretty enough, not being effective as partners because their partner is having this issue. And that this is a way that people can bond and connect is to help them uh, move through this together, that, that you're a team and you can help each other and to help each other find where these fears are and work through them together. That's a very valid point and something we didn't touch on earlier, isn't it, is that it might not be yourself that has the issue, but it may be your partner. Yes, correct. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I can understand that being frustrating and one wants to blame oneself for the inability to give the partner orgasm or to see that the partner has erection, but um, see this as a place that you can express your compassion for your partner and, and help them with the situation. It might be very shameful and embarrassing to the person. So don't expect them to be, yeah, please come help me. I'm excited. Let's move through this. They might have blocks that have to go be gone through before they're willing to go through the fear blocks they're actually creating. The, the issue for them. Thank you so much, Laurie, for that. And um, yeah, I'm really pleased you, you brought that up at the end there because uh, it's something I hadn't thought about until the time that you just spoke about it as being a potential problem for your partner and not necessarily for yourself. So thank you so much for that. It's been a fascinating conversation as it is always with yourself. So um, I'll make sure for the listeners that Laurie's information will be in the show notes if you'd like to get in touch with her. I highly recommend if you've got any um, fears or anxiety or shame around any sort of what you might consider sexual taboo, that she is a wonderful person to connect with. So thanks again, Laurie, for your wise words of wisdom in today's podcast show. Thank you, Lynn. I'm very pleased that you are willing to give me this opportunity to help other people. Absolutely. And uh, so on that note, I shall just leave everybody with always believe that true love starts with opening our hearts. And this is, again, you know, an area where we are teaching surrender and relaxing into that. So until next time, goodbye for now. Thanks for listening to the Hearts Entwined podcast. You can follow Lynn via the Facebook group Two Hearts Entwined or search Lynn Smith, inspirational speaker at LinkedIn or email lynn at hearts-entwined.com. That's L-Y-N at hearts-entwined.com. Remember, true love starts with opening our hearts.